All right, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together and let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 once more. Ephesians chapter 4. Today's text is one verse, verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I'd encourage you to look at it in a copy of Scripture. Our main text, as usual, is not on the screens behind me, and we'll be referring back to parts of that verse time and time again. So it'll be most helpful and I think most beneficial to you as you listen to the sermon today to have that in front of you, to be able to reference it over and over. <clears throat> now, today's a family day here at Columbia Christian Church. We've got our kids with us, parents, grown-ups. I want to speak to the kids for a moment, so y'all just listen in, all right? But kids, I want to speak to you right now. Kids, pay attention. Look up at me real quick, kids. Do you guys want to make God happy? Do you want God to be happy with you? Well, one of the ways that we can make God happy, one of the ways that we can please God is by the things that we say, by what comes out of our mouths. And so today in the sermon, kids, we're going to be talking about what comes out of our mouths. We're going to be talking about the ways that God wants us to talk, good ways that God wants us to talk. But we're also going to be talking about ways that God does not want us to talk, things that might come out of our mouths that God does not want us to say. Today's sermon is entitled, Foul Language and Godly Speech. And so it's not just for the grown-ups, it's for all of us. This applies to every single one of us. For as young as you can go to, as old as you can go, what is coming out of our mouths? In 1856, Charles Spurgeon was preaching in London, and he was at probably the height of his popularity. If you don't know anything about Charles Spurgeon, he's one of the most famous preachers in church history. So many people listened to him preach. So many people still read his sermons and find benefit from them. But on October 19, 1856, he was nearly driven out of his mind and out of ministry by a single word, a single ill-timed word. On that day, he was preaching at Surrey Garden Music Hall in London, and it was packed. And in the middle of his sermon, most people believe in an effort to discredit him. As popular as he was, as much of a strong gospel preacher as he was, he had many enemies. Some, some people believe in an effort to discredit him. A man in the middle of the crowd yelled fire when there was no fire. And it incited a panic. People got up and started running out. And as they were doing so, seven people were trampled to death. And 21 were left with life-threatening injuries. And this one word, spoken in the wrong place at the wrong time, produced a deadly disaster. And afterward, it sent Spurgeon into a downward spiral. He nearly had a nervous breakdown in the wake of the disaster. He felt so guilty because during one of his sermons, seven people were killed. He felt so horrible about it, and for the rest of his life, he wrangled with a deep and powerful anxiety and depression, which is chronicled in lots of different writings and even books, the, the depression that he struggled with, all from one ill-timed word. The words that come out of our mouth have power to them, do they not? Words have power. In the very beginning, God spoke and the universe came to be because of his words. 
God's word is the greatest force, the most powerful force the universe has ever seen. His words. He just spoke and things came into being out of nothing. The entire universe, in fact. Words have power. Now, our words, of course, do not have that kind of power, but they do have power nonetheless. Power to do good and power to do evil. In light of that, let's read our text today. Our text is Ephesians 4.29. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, that's the only verse we've got today. I want to read it one more time. Drive it a little bit farther into our hearts and minds. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, remember where we're at in Ephesians. We've been going verse by verse through Ephesians since the very beginning of the book. We come to this section where Paul is telling us practical ways how we are to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Notice those in verse 22 of the same chapter and verse 24 of the same chapter. Put off your old self, put on the new self. When you come to Christ, you are turning away from an old life. You are putting on a new life. But what does that practically look like? And today, he gets down to the practical application of the way that we talk. The way that we talk. And so what I want to do today is break this up into two sections. We're going to spend the first half of the sermon talking about corrupting talk. And the the second half of the sermon talking about godly speech. And then under those two sections, I want to break those down into categories and speak of those categories each in biblical terms. What does the Bible tell us about corrupting talk? And what does the Bible tell us about godly speech, about using our words for the good of others and the glory of God? And so we'll start where the verse starts. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Corrupting talk, what does that mean? Well, let's break it up into some categories that we all understand that are even biblical categories. Number one would be this, foul language. Foul language. We should not ever hear foul language come out of the mouth of a follower of Jesus. Now, you can always hear people having debates about cuss words these days, right? What are cuss words? Why is it wrong for me to say cuss words? I mean, think about those. Aren't they just sounds? And that sound is not offensive in another language. It's not even rude in another language. It's just a sound. What's the big deal with cuss words? And think about this. Some words that are considered cuss words today used to be commonly used, right? There are words that we would say today that used to be used just in in common everyday speech. And so what's the big deal? about using cuss words. Every now and then you'll you'll hear a Christian argue, yeah, this shouldn't be a thing. Why is it wrong for Christians to say these, these words, these arbitrary words? But this verse right here is so helpful when it comes to this issue. Ephesians 4.29 is so helpful and clarifying on this issue. It says, no corrupting talk. Other translations say, let no unwholesome talk, or even one translation says, No foul language come out of your mouths. And one of the things that this means 
is no matter what culture or time period you live in, there are always words and kinds of speech that are considered foul language, and those are off-limits for Christians. This, this verse is written in such a way in the wisdom of God to apply to everyone at all times, no matter when you live and no matter where you live and no matter what language you speak. There are always in every culture words and kinds of speech that are considered inappropriate, and those are not to come out of the mouths of followers of Jesus. Today, Jesus is saying to you, if you want to follow me, you need to give that up. If you want to follow me, you need to change the way that you speak, the words that come out of your mouth. You would have never heard foul language come out of the mouth of Jesus. And you should never hear it come out of the mouth of someone who is one of his disciples. James 3 talks about the tongue, our tongues, right? And James tells us the tongue is a restless evil. The tongue is set on fire and itself can set your entire life on fire. What a a small thing that can start such a large blaze, that can create such giant consequences because our words have power. In James chapter 3 verse 10 he says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. This should not be. It is dishonoring to God. And to Jesus when we use inappropriate language. In Titus 2 verse 10, Paul talks about adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, the way that we live and the things that we say should make the gospel attractive to people. It should make the gospel attractive to outsiders. They look at the way that we live and they think they're adorning the gospel. The gospel is is given adornment by the way that person lives. Adornment like jewelry. Like ways to make it attractive. And yet, inappropriate language, foul language coming out of our mouths would be doing the exact opposite. It'd be doing the exact opposite of adorning the doctrine of God. Think about what it communicates to a watching world when someone who claims to be a Christian uses foul language. Right? Think about the fact that to a watching world, you may be their only picture of Christianity. You may be What they look to, to think that's what Christianity is. And if foul language comes out of your mouth, what does that communicate to them about Christianity, about Christ himself, about God himself? And so foul foul language is the first category, but I want to introduce a second. And the second category I take from just a few verses down. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 4. Ephesians 5 verse 4, just a few verses below where we were. Notice what Paul says there. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let's talk about crude joking for a moment. Now, everyone loves a good joke, right? Everyone loves a good joke. We love to laugh. We love it when someone makes us laugh, and we love to make others laugh. Laughter is something that the Lord invented. Humor is something that the Lord invented. And it does us good. It does our souls and our hearts good to laugh and to be made to laugh. Everyone loves a good joke. But Satan loves to use that desire to tempt us to sin through crude jokes. We've probably all heard this type of thing. You think of a joke that uses crude language. 
a joke that makes people laugh at something that God hates, or a joke that brings to mind things we should not even be thinking or talking about. Notice Ephesians 5 verse 3, which says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. There are certain things that are not even fit for our conversations because of what they bring to our minds and the temptation that it might bring just even talking about certain things. There are certain things that are inappropriate. Or as Paul says in verse 4 of chapter 5, they're out of place. Crude joking is out of place among Jesus' followers. It's the same idea we talked about just a minute ago. You should not hear these things coming out of the mouth of Christians. And we're not just talking about while you're at church either. Know this. This is not some difference we're making between how we talk when we're here and how we talk when we're around the family of God and how we talk in other areas. It is not as though we talk one way when we're at church and another way when we're at work or one way when we're at church and another way when we're at school. It is not as though we talk one way when we're with our church friends and another way when we're with our sports team. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he demands your entire life. It is not just Sunday. It is Sunday through Saturday and every other day there is. He demands our entire lives. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. And follow me. Take up your cross every day and follow me. The heart that has been transformed by Jesus should be disgusted by this type of thing. In fact, one of the things that we find as we follow Christ longer and longer is the Holy Spirit helps us to begin to feel what the Lord feels. The Holy Spirit begins to help us to hate what the Lord hates and to love what the Lord loves. Now, that's not where we are by nature. That's not where we are when we come to Christ, necessarily. When we come to Christ initially, sometimes we love some things that the Lord hates. And sometimes we hate some things that the Lord loves. But over time, the Holy Spirit helps us to feel what God feels. And there is a sense in which Christians should be disgusted, rightfully disgusted, as God is disgusted at certain types of talk and language And like we just talked about crude joking. Let's talk about one more category. Unloving or insincere speech. And what I mean by this is this. Sometimes we disobey this command here in Ephesians 4.29. Even when we don't have inappropriate words coming out of our mouths. Maybe you don't have bad words coming out of your mouth. But you can still disobey this command by speaking in an unloving or insincere manner. Think about our speech having an attitude or an edge to it that does, not dis, that does not honor God or it does not display his character. Think about someone who constantly teases everyone else. And I'm not just talking about every now and then. I'm talking about constantly. They're constantly teasing other people. Or someone who cannot talk about anything sincere or serious. They have to turn everything into a joke. Or someone who draws attention to themselves by putting others down, by making fun of other people, or someone who is always pointing out the problems with other people, or always complaining 
or someone who gossips, talking about others behind their back and sharing details that are not really anyone else's business. This is unloving or insincere speech. We can break this commandment. We can have corrupting talk come out of our mouths, even if we don't say bad words. If the attitude behind our speech or the heart behind our speech is not a Christ-like one. And then finally, I want to examine just briefly the category of selfish speech. Selfish speech. Years ago, there was a, a very interesting article, I've never forgotten about this, on a website called The Art of Manliness, believe it or not. And the, web, the, the article was called How to Avoid Conversational Narcissism. Conversational Narcissism. Here's what it meant. Conversational narcissism is that thing that we notice when we're all in a big group and everybody is waiting their turn to speak rather than listening to others. Everybody is just waiting on their turn to tell a story about themselves to try to one-up the person who was just talking about themselves. It's our desire to constantly talk about ourselves. Try to, try to step back and notice this the next time you're in a group. How many people actually ask a follow-up question to someone who is talking about themselves and give them more time to talk about themselves? It hardly ever happens. We're all just waiting our turn to speak and to talk about ourselves. We're conversational narcissists. It can be an extremely loving and Christian thing when you're in a group like that. Rather than turning the, the attention of everybody else onto you, to keep it on others. And to ask them sincere follow-up questions about what they are saying about themselves. And to express that you care about them and you want to hear more about them. You remember Toby Keith's song, I want to talk about me? That's us, right? That's us all the time. I want to talk about me. Me, 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 me. And so we can break this command, disobey this command in many ways. But behind all of it is what's in our hearts. Speech is about what's in your heart. The stuff in your heart comes out through your mouth. Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter 12 in a very important passage for our study today. Matthew 12, starting in verse 33, listen to his words. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's coming out of your mouth is an overflow of what's already in your heart. You can tell what's in someone's heart if you spend enough time listening to them talk. You can tell what kind of person they are. And so let me ask each and every one of you this, and let me ask you to ask yourself this question this morning. What does your speech tell you about your own heart? What does your speech tell you about your own heart? Do you have a heart that has been made new by the gospel of Christ? If you were only judging according to your speech? Or do you have a heart 
that is full of ungodliness and worldliness. If you're just going on the things that come out of your mouth, what would somebody else say is in your heart if all they had to go on was the words that come out of your mouth? Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now let's move on now to the second part of the verse where he doesn't talk about what God doesn't want us to say, but he starts talking about what God does want us to say. How does God want us to talk? And notice what he does here in verse 29, and we'll kind of use this as our, uh, our structure, our framework. He breaks godly speech up into three categories. And the first one is this. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Only such as is good for building up. Our speech as Christians should be building other people up. We should always think in those terms, is what I'm about to say going to build someone else up? If not, I shouldn't say it. Now, again, we got to deal with the heart issue here. Only those who are secure in Christ have the freedom to constantly build others up with their speech. Understand this. Only people who are completely secure in Christ, in their own hearts, only people who are completely secure in God's love for them, it is only those people who are constantly free to build others up with their speech. Because the need to tear others down or the need to constantly build yourself up in the eyes of everybody else reveals an insecurity. You're not confident in the love of God. And if you're not confident in the love of God in your own heart, you will have to do those things. You'll constantly be needing to build yourself up in the eyes of everybody else. If you're not confident in God's love for you, you will need to tear other people down so you can feel better about yourself. But if you have everything you need from the Father, if you have everything you need from Christ, if you are going to God and filling your heart up to overflowing, then it can overflow in speech that builds other people up. An empty heart needs to be filled up by other people. A full and overflowing heart that has been filled by God himself can overflow into building other people up with your speech. You're free to build other people up when you are content and secure in God's love for you. Our speech should reflect the heart of Jesus. If we're followers of Jesus, then we try to walk as Jesus walked, and our speech should reflect his own heart. And what is Jesus' heart? What's the heart of Jesus like? Well, Jesus gave himself up for the good of others. Jesus sacrificed himself for the good of others. And in the same way, in our speech, we should be sacrificing our own need to be built up, We should be sacrificing our own need to talk about ourselves and to have everybody pay attention to us. We should be sacrificing our own needs in our speech so that we can build other people up. And so our speech will reflect the heart of Jesus Christ. Now, notice the second little subcategory he says there in verse 29. Let no uncorrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. And then he says, as fits the occasion... As fits the occasion. Now, what's that mean? Well, have you ever had someone say something to you that was just the wrong thing at the wrong time? You ever had that happen? It doesn't feel good. It hurts. And perhaps they, they, they weren't even trying 
to hurt you, but it was just the wrong thing at the wrong time. Or perhaps someone said a true thing, but it was just the wrong time. There are times where we could spout off true theology in the Bible, but, it, but it's not the right time. It's not fitting. For instance, do you remember Job's friends? Job goes through unimaginable suffering in the book of Job after God allows Satan to torment him. And his friends show up. And initially it says Job was in so much suffering he wasn't recognizable. But his friends sit with him in silence for a week. It's the best thing they could have ever done. And the problems started happening when they opened their mouths. Job calls them miserable comforters. What do they try to do? A lot of times they're speaking truth, but it's not the right time. It's not the right application of it. Sometimes they think God, they say things like, Job, God punishes people for their sins. You must be being punished by God. That, that first statement was true, but it's, it's an improper application of the truth to Job's life, Right? If someone is grieving over the loss of a loved one, and I come up and just just insincerely say, Romans 8.28, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. God does everything for a reason. It's not the right time. It's time to weep with those who weep. It's not the right time to just give someone a pat answer that's going to fix their sadness, right? You can say true things at inappropriate times. We, we need to speak in a way that fits the occasion. And so you might have had someone do that to you. But on the other hand, have you ever had someone say something to you that was just what you needed at just the right time? And the life that that gives and the encouragement and the lifting up that that does to you. Proverbs fifteen twenty three says to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. A word in season. To provide someone with a word from the Lord with a fitting application for the season that they are in. Those are words of life. This is one of the best reasons, brothers and sisters, why we should be memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. This is one of the very best reasons to do it. Because you can give someone a word from the Lord on the spur of the moment. And I'm not talking about a word from the Lord like, hey, God, God gave me a secret message for you. No, you can give them a verse from the Bible. God's words from Scripture at a proper time, in the proper occasion, as fits the occasion. But only if you have those, those stored up. How many times do you come across situations where it would be great to give someone a word from the Lord, but if you don't have anything stored up in your heart and in your mind, you, you don't have anything to give them? You can give someone a word from the Lord on the spot. Parents, when our kids are laying down to go to sleep at night, and they say, Mom, Dad, I'm scared. How fitting would it be to give them Psalm 4-8? I lie down and sleep in peace at night. For you alone, alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 4-8. When someone is feeling overwhelmed by life, how fitting would it be to just give them Jesus' words from John sixteen thirty three? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Or if someone is reaching out to you and they're at the end of their rope and they say, I just don't know what to pray for anymore. How fitting, what a balm to the soul would it be to be able to give them Romans eight twenty six, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that words cannot express. It's one of the greatest reasons to memorize Scripture so that we can give someone a word from the Lord as fits the occasion on the spot when the opportunity arises. There are even times when we can use Scripture to warn someone who is veering into sin or to exhort someone to seek the Lord. Remember all the one another commands in the New Testament? One another commands are all over the New Testament. There's so many of them. I believe there's exactly 60 one another commands in the New Testament. And you you see over and over again, it applies to our speech. Exhort one another. Rebuke one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. And do so with a word from the Lord that fits the occasion. Now finally, in verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our speech should give grace. Our words should give grace to those who hear. It should be a blessing and a gift to other people. And not just to the one you are speaking to. Notice how it says, to those who hear. Parents, we've learned this the hard way. More people hear our words than just the person that we're speaking to. Right? Our kids hear everything we say, it seems like, sometimes. Right? But that's true in all of life. It's not just the person you're speaking to. Other people are hearing your words. Right? You want your speech to give grace to all who hear your words. I, I tell people one of the easiest ways to share the gospel is get together with a Christian friend, go out to a restaurant and talk about Jesus. And all the people who are sitting around you just have to listen to it. That, you've got a captive audience, right? I remember when I was younger, and I used to go to sporting events with my dad. And every now and then, maybe it was at an NFL game or a college basketball game, we'd sit right in front of somebody who had the foulest mouth. And my dad had to spend the whole way home talking to me about language and about, you know, we couldn't do anything that was our seats. And we just had to sit and listen to that person say those words. And my, my dad would always try to use it as a teaching moment, but I could tell he felt, he felt really bad, right? We were a captive audience. Well, the next time, turn it around. Next time you go to a basketball game, you and a friend get together and say, we're going to go to this basketball game, and we're going to talk about Jesus part of the time, and everybody around us is just going to have to sit there and listen to it, right? You share the gospel. But your speech, the idea here is, may our speech give grace to those who hear, to everyone who hears. Our words are more powerful than we know. There were those who encountered Jesus during his life on this earth. And he only said a few words to them and it changed their life. Are we speaking words of life to those around us? Does our speech glorify God? Does it serve others? What picture does our speech give people of God and of Jesus Christ? You remember back there in that passage in Matthew, at the very end, Jesus said something that might have, might have confused some of you. He said, by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, what that doesn't mean is that you are saved by your words. That doesn't mean that you can be saved by the words that you speak. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, at the judgment day, And he said this in that passage too. At the judgment day, each one of us will stand before Christ and we will give an account for every word we have spoken, right? And your words will be the visible evidence of whether or not you had saving faith in your heart. And so your words 
will either vindicate God's decision to let you into heaven or to condemn you to hell. And it won't be because your words save you. It will be because your words are the overflow of what's already in your heart. Your words will be the evidence of what kind of heart you had. It will be evident on that day who had saving faith in Christ and who who did not. And so, when you stand before Jesus at the judgment day, what will your words reveal to him? What will Jesus say of you based on your words? That's the question I want to leave us with today. Here in just a moment, we're going to spend some time in silent prayer. Each week, after our sermon, after our time in God's word, we give a few moments of silent prayer so that every single one of us can respond to God's word. We'll have a time of invitation, a time of public response here in just a moment, but it is not only those who walk down the aisle that need to respond to God's word. It's every single one of us. We need to respond to God's word. We need to go to God and talk with him because of what he has just said to us. And so we give this time right now of silent prayer for that to happen. You go to God, you respond to whatever he has laid upon your heart, and then after a few moments of private prayer, we'll come back and we'll have a time of public invitation.